kind of a tricky thing, you know. <laughs> okay, Daniel chapter 10. As we take a look, <clears throat> we want to remember, as we go through the book of Daniel, what Daniel lays out for us. Okay, Daniel 1 through 6 is a historical narrative of Daniel's life. Daniel 7 through 12 is a narrative of the prophecies or the visions that God gave Daniel. Chapter 1 through 6 follows the chronology of Daniel's life. Chapter 7 through 12 follows the chronology of the visions in Daniel's life. So the book divides into two parts. And as we look, we saw Daniel as a special young man, the age of probably 15. At the age of 15, being taken from his family's home and given basically free reign in Nebuchadnezzar's palace. He was given the best teachers, the best food. He was never hungry again. He had all the opportunity that any man could be given to make a decision to forget about all that religious stuff his parents had ever taught him. Forget about the law and all of that. And hey, while in Babylon, do as the Babylonians, right? After all, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, yeah? So the, the attitude could have been that way. But Daniel, we see all the way back in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel purposed in his heart, I'm going to follow the Lord. And folks, for 70 plus years of captivity, that's exactly what he did. At the time when we read here in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel's about 85 years old. The captivity's over, the decree has been made already for the children of Israel to go back and rebuild their temple. And Zerubbabel has taken some of the people, we read about it in Ezra, to go and, and begin that battle. Now, they're not having very good luck. They're, they're fighting and battling, but we see Daniel still in Babylon. Still back there where he was for 70 years. I imagine for Daniel, you know, he's thinking, I spent my whole life here in this place. I spent my whole life serving the Lord here, and now I know that the people are going, but I just don't feel like it's time for me to leave. He's going to live out his days in Babylon. He's never going to go back home. He's never going to turn his back on the Lord. He's never going to give up that God has a plan for his life. He's never going to stop praying at the time of the morning and the evening sacrifice even though the temple is destroyed and all the way in Jerusalem. But there in, in Babylon, now serving under the Medes and the Persians, as we read in chapter 10, every morning he's going to pray. Every evening he's going to pray. He's going to seek the Lord his entire life. The reason why I, I think that that is so remarkable and something to be pointed at is because there are two people we read about in the Bible that are called greatly beloved of God. Daniel's the first one. Greatly beloved of God. The second one is John the Revelator. Apostle John. The one who wrote the book of John. The one called the one whom Jesus loved. Now if you consider those two guys and you think about their lives and what they did, think about what God did in revealing His plan to them. I mean, who else, who, who had better or greater 
uh, degree of revelation than Daniel. As the Lord laid out for Daniel the entire prophetic history of the nation of Israel. Where they were going to go, how they were going to be dispersed, what was going to happen with Messiah, when Messiah comes back. And we still have some pretty incredible prophecies to go through as we get to Daniel chapter 11. We're going to read in Daniel chapter 11, the first 35 verses, in which we will see 135 fulfilled prophecies. Daniel's going to be real busy in them first 35 verses, laying out God's prophetic plan. But what's that come back to? It comes back to, folks, that Daniel was beloved of God. He was beloved of God. God loved him. And John... God loved him. And didn't God reveal to John in in the book of Revelation God's plan for the end times, how things were going to work out, what was going to happen? The Lord revealed it to him as well. The two guys in the Bible that are called much beloved of God. And, And one of the clues we get about that is we see Daniel's heart toward the Lord. Daniel's heart toward the Lord, folks. I I would long to reach the place where I could live even one day totally submitted to God that whole day. Maybe we aim too far out there. Maybe we ought to aim just in those moments right before us. These next moments, I want to live these next moments totally submitted to Him. Totally open to whatever God's going to do in my life. And that was the attitude of Daniel. Daniel was not loved by the world. The world wanted to kill him over and over again. But he was respected by the rulers of the kingdoms in which he worked because he was a man spoken of by the world, full of the Spirit of the living God. Wouldn't it be great if our neighbors and friends, the people who knew us most, knew us for a person being full of the Spirit of God. Full of, of that Spirit and that attitude. And may that be our desire as we look at, at what the Lord spoke to Daniel, what the Lord gave him. And as we look at Daniel chapter 10, Daniel chapter 10, as far as we'll go tonight, because chapter 11, whew, man, you better bring pencil. We'll be writing like crazy when we get to that part. But Daniel chapter 10, God's going to back up and give us a bird's eye view, folks, of spiritual warfare. Now we all know spiritual warfare exists, right? We all know that there's something constantly going on behind the scenes and maybe we can't quite grasp a hold of. But you see, Daniel shows it to us in Daniel chapter 10. As we look at Daniel chapter 10, it begins, In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. Now, the third year of Cyrus means this is at least two years into Daniel's retirement. He's no longer in public service. His public service went from the time of Nebuchadnezzar to the first year of the reign of of Cyrus. So, by the third year, we know that he's out of public light. He's in retirement in, in, in his place, whatever he has there in Babylon. And it's during this time that he receives this message. And it says, the message was true, but the appointed time was long. And that idea is not that the appointed time is not only in the future, far out in the future, but that that appointed time is fierce. It's hard. 
It's difficult. All those things are wrapped up into the appointed time was long. It's, it's, a little, it's out there beyond our reach, but yet it's a, it's a fierce time as he looked into it. And he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. Now in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. So now he's going to tell us what happened when he received the vision. He was in mourning for three full weeks. Literally, in the Hebrew, that's weeks of days, by the way. Three full weeks of days, 21 days, he's going to be in mourning. Fasting of some type. The Bible talks about fasting in several different ways. A lot of people look at fasting and see it as only going without any food. Or, but the Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible tells us when it speaks of fasting, that fasting is a time in which your whole heart, being, everything you are about, is only and totally focus on the Lord. Not on food or drink or anything like that. There are times in the Bibles where we'll see fasts where, where they ate fruit, drank juice. There were all these different things. The point of the fast was, I'm separating myself from everything around me. All that busyness of life. And I'm focused wholly on God. I'm so focused on the Lord, I'm not even going to get up to go make me something to eat. It's just what is laid out there before him. So in this time of mourning, Daniel is fasting 21 days. He's focused only and totally upon the Lord. And he's in a time of mourning. Why? Folks, the Bible tells us when Zerubbabel put out the call for the children of Israel to return to the, to the temple, to rebuild the temple, that only a handful of people left. The number escapes my memory, but it's, it's a small fraction in comparison to who came. The whole nation came to Babylon, but the ones that left were small. It was a small group. And that small group was having finding difficulty in performing what was their heart's desire. So many people believe that's what Daniel's mourning about. That's what Daniel's fasting and praying about it. He's looking at, at the work of those people as they move forward to try to rebuild. The temple's gone. The, the country is in shambles. There's nothing left. And as they're going, Daniel perhaps is, is mourning, Lord, what's really going to happen to my people? I mean, what's, what's down the line? What's going on? He's just mourning for the position and the pain and the hurt that they find themselves in. So while he's in this morning, we find in chapter 10, verse 3, he says, Now I ate no pleasant food. No meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Twenty-one days. He didn't take a bath. The good news is, he was out there by himself. So that's okay. If you want to take a fast from showering and bathing, I... I would suggest that you go camping. <laughs> and when the fast is over, take a shower and come to church. Because the folks sitting around you will know you've been fasting if you don't do that. Nonetheless, he comes together and it says, Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked. And behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with the gold of Euphaz. Euphaz was a port in Babylon where gold was imported and exported. His body was like Barrow's face, like the appearance of lightning. 
His eyes like torches of fire. His arms and feet like burnished bronze in color. And the sound of His words like the voice of a multitude. Daniel sees a vision. Now, folks, people are divided as to who he's seeing. The, the, the thought is, prevailing thought is, he's looking at the pre-incarnate Christ. We see a similar uh, example of a vision like this from John. We were just talking about him. In fact, let's just roll over quickly to the book of Revelation chapter 1. And we'll see in the book of Revelation chapter 1 a, a, similar, a similar revelation. Now he says, I, John, your brother and companion in the tribulation of the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ was on the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book, send it to the seven churches. And I turned to see the voice in verse 12 that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters." Well, we see that there's similarity. Some people see an incredible similarity between the two visions. And, and it could very well be the, the pre-incarnate Christ that he sees. The one group looks at it, and a little while later we're going to be introduced to an angel. And they apply this vision with the angel that comes and talks to Daniel and says, since that angel was, was doing battle with, with the enemy and needed help, that couldn't have been Jesus. But there's no reason to attach one to the other. The point is, I believe what we're looking at, the vision that he sees, it zaps him of his strength, that drops him to the ground, is, is Daniel comes face to face with his Savior. He comes face to face with Jesus Christ. He sees a vision of his holiness, of his glory. He sees a vision of what will be. And then, because his strength is sapped from him, the Lord sends an angel to him. And that angel's going to touch him. Look what we see here. And I, Daniel, sat alone and saw the vision. For the men who were with me didn't see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they flew to hide themselves. Now you remember when Saul of Tarsus was going to Damascus. You remember in the Lord, a light shone from heaven and knocked him off his horse. Who really experienced that vision in fullness was Saul. Everybody else saw something, heard something, but couldn't quite put their finger on it. But Saul, he knew what was going on. Same kind of things going on here with Daniel. Now, everybody doesn't know why they're afraid. But they all flee, they all run, they all hide themselves. And the only one left there is Daniel. Daniel experiencing this vision, experiencing this time with the Lord. Therefore, I was left alone. When I saw the great vision... No strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, 
and I retain no strength. Daniel's literally talking about being at the point of death. Be seeing so much, seeing such a thing that it just dropped him to the ground. You know, some people talk about, you know, the possibility that, that maybe he's having a heart attack or something's happening to Daniel in this place. The point is, what he sees just takes everything away from him. All of his strength drops him to the ground on his face. And then he says, yet, yet I heard the sound of his words. And while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. What a great attitude of worship. Probably one of my favorite attitudes of worship is when we come to a place before the Lord and we're face down. For Daniel, he had nothing. He, he realized, basically, in seeing this vision... Like, like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Woe is me, for I am undone, for I dwell among a people of unclean lips, and I am a man of unclean lips. He sees God of very God. In fact, the Gospel of Luke tells us that Isaiah spoke this when he saw Jesus Christ. When he saw the Lord, he sees Him and he's, he's crying out, Woe is me. When we see Jesus, there's not going to be any of that stuff inside of us that says, Hey, like maybe Daniel would have said, Oh, if I could just stand before the Lord, I'd ask Him, God, why did I have to be a eunuch? How, why could I never understand what it is to be married? How could, how could it be your plan that I would never have children? How could it be your plan that I, I would never see my family again from the time I was 15? But you see, Daniel had none of those questions. He had none of them. He had lost all strength, all desire, as he saw the holiness of God and the plan that God was unveiling before him. And while he was there in that place, and maybe as, as it is Jesus delivering this message of end times, all future for Daniel, some of it will be passed as we look at chapter 11 and 12. That's where we'll see the vision. But, but as he, he's there, he says, I'm on my face, face down before the Lord, and I hear his voice. I hear his words, the word of God penetrating even there, touching his heart, reaching out him. And, and just bestowing upon him that incredible love. And then look what happens. He's, as he's on his face with his face to the ground, he's in a deep sleep. And then I propose, verse 10, suddenly a hand touched me. This hand that touched him is, to my mind, most probably Gabriel. Gabriel had already been to Daniel a couple times to bring a word of visions to Daniel. So I believe now we have Daniel. Daniel sees a vision of Jesus Christ, hears his words declaring the things of the end times, falls to his face in a deep sleep, and Gabriel raises him up. And so as Gabriel raises him up, as Gabriel touches him, he says, uh, suddenly a hand touched me and made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. So he's on his hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved. Wouldn't that be such an incredible thing to hear from the Lord? To hear even from one of the Lord's messengers. Oh Daniel, greatly beloved. 
Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and to humble yourselves before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Daniel was crying out. Remember, we began three weeks fasting and mourning over a situation in regard to his people, crying out to the Lord. But this angel says to him, I came to you the moment you prayed. The moment you began to speak, I came. And it took him 21 days to get to him. And he, in the next verse, is going to open up our eyes to understand, folks, that there is a whole lot more going on in this world than what we see. There's a whole lot more happening. Take a look. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the king of Persia. Now what's he talking about? Well, we know, folks, that there's no human that is withstanding an angel. We know that that's not the case. The Bible tells us very clearly that that angels in terms of battle are much mightier than, than we are, aren't they? Much mightier. In fact, if we want to take a look, let's just, let's just take a look at a couple of, of sections of Scripture. In 2 Kings, turn with me in 2 Kings chapter 19. Second Kings 19, beginning at verse 14, as we set the stage a little bit. Now Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and he spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before God and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, You are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of all the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Shennacherib, which he has sent to reproach a living God. Truly, Lord, the king of Assyria have laid waste the nations of their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, But the work of men's hands, wood and stone, therefore they destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, went to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Shennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. And this is the word of the Lord that he has spoken to you. And Isaiah lays out this prophecy. And when you get a chance, you can read it, but let's just go down to, to verse 32. Verse 32, he says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came... By the same shall he return. And he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it 
for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed the camp of the Assyrians, 185,000. And when the people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. One angel, 185,000 warriors, was not much of a fight. So when we consider what Daniel's talking about, he's talking about something else. Some spiritual forces that are withholding the, the messengers of the Lord that were bringing an answer to Daniel as he prayed and fasted for 21 days. He was withheld by the prince of Persia. And it seems like as we study the Scripture, folks, we're going to learn that there are areas within the world, places, strongholds of Satan that are held by his minions, by his demons, by, by Satan's top angels, the fallen angels that he has. And they retain titles. And one of their titles is Prince of Persia. And that's where this angel finds himself doing battle. Being withstood and held back until Michael the archangel. Michael the archangel, folks, as we do a study of Michael, Michael is always, every time, always concerned with the nation of Israel, around the nation of Israel, and uh, his hand upon the Messiah. Isn't it interesting? I wonder what they had to do to Michael when Jesus was being crucified. What was it like for him? Because he knows who he is. How many angels did it take to hold him back? Remember when, when Peter pulled his sword and cut off the, the ear of the servant? What was it that Jesus said? Peter, put away your sword. Don't you know? I could call 10,000 angels. If one angel killed 185,000, what 10,000 do? How's that song go? I could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set me free. But he died alone, right? He died alone on Calvary for you and for me. But we have to understand that the battles that we face on this earth are not... Battles with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Anytime we get our eyes off the focus that there is minions and and demonic hordes that are working about this world, trying to bring forth Satan's desire, Satan's plan, whatever that may be, and we start to look at the people whom they use and think they're our enemy, we're missing the boat. Folks, it's not them, it's not Obama. It's not Congress. It's not all the knuckleheads of the world put together. It's the power behind them. It's the guy who's pulling their strings. And if we get to a place, folks, where we're so frustrated and angry politically about the things that are going on that we forget that there's a battle taking place behind the scenes and God calls us to realize that that's happening. To realize that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down 
of strongholds. And when he speaks of strongholds in the Scripture, he's talking about these areas, like where the Prince of Persia is. And that these weapons that are mighty in God can pull down, can topple, can topple their control. I look over the things that have been happening of late in our world and how it's interesting that we find ourselves really at war with ancient Persia, or at least part of it, in, uh, in the battle with Iraq and the problems that we have with Iran. Do you realize as a result of those wars that for the first time since the second century A.D., the, the Bible and tracts have been able to go into some of those countries? First time since the second century A.D. That's the year 200. That was a long time ago. Because of this war. The weapons of our warfare aren't carnal. It's not about the war. Mighty in God for the pulling down of those strongholds. Well, while we're considering this, and we're considering this, this warfare, let's again turn to 2 Kings, but this time 2 Kings chapter 6. So turn to your left a, a few chapters and you'll find it. You may remember a fellow named Elijah. Elijah had a, a, a servant that was following him that would one day take his mantle. Do you remember? His name was Elisha. The Lord did that to confuse us. So that we'd always be wondering, was that Elijah or Elisha that did that? Well, that's at least what happens in my head. Elijah told Elisha, if you see me go up in the fiery chariot, then you will have your desire. Do you remember what Elisha wanted? A double portion of what the Lord had given Elijah. It's interesting, folks, because if you do a study of Elijah, you'll see eight miracles surrounding his life. You do a study of Elisha, and you will see 16, double, of what the Lord gave to Elijah. But here in, in 2 Kings chapter 6, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at what was going on with Elisha. Elisha's got a, a, a ministry that, that uh, he's doing to upset a king. In, in chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such and such and such a place. And the, and the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down from there. And the king of Israel went, uh, sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him, and thus he warned him. And he was watchful there, not just once or twice. This was happening over and over and over. So much so that the king of Syria gets frustrated. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and he said to them, Will you not show me which one of you is for the king of Israel? He's saying, Hey, which one of you guys is a traitor? One of you keeps telling the king of Israel my plans. And one of, the, one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel... The words that you speak in your bedroom. Wherever you are, whatever you say, Elisha knows. Elisha knows. So check it out. The king gets angry and he, he decides to send his army against Elisha. So they said, 
Go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him, he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha's servant wakes up, goes outside, and there's a whole army around Elisha's place ready to attack. Now when I envision this, I think Elisha's still in bed. I don't think Elisha was in all that big a hurry to get up that day. I think his servant rose up early to go about his chores and came back, Master, Master, what are we going to do? And when we hear these words of Elisha, realize, you know, he's sleeping a little bit, you know, still has his head on his pillow. And so... He answered and said, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Then people couldn't touch him if God didn't let them. Do you understand that that's what the scriptures are declaring to us? That they couldn't touch and they couldn't do anything. They wouldn't be able to do a single solitary thing to Elisha unless God let them come. And so Elisha prays. He says, Lord, strike them with blindness. And the whole army goes blind. And then Elisha says, guys, you're lost. Let me lead you where you need to go. And he takes them to the king of Israel. The whole army to the king of Israel. The king of Israel says, what what, what should I do? Should I smite them? Should I kill them? And he says, no. They're your prisoners. Feed them and send them back. And they were never troubled by the Syrians again. Never. What do we see in this battle? Was it it the ability of, of Elisha and his mightiness that delivered them? No, folks, it was... The battle belonged to the Lord. It was God and His battle that He was accomplishing. And Elisha understood it. He understood it and he saw it. And here we see Daniel in the book of Daniel is getting that same lesson. Hey, Daniel, I came right now to answer your prayer. But I had to do battle with the prince of Persia. I had to do battle in the spiritual planes. I had to do battle in the spiritual places. In fact, if you, as you hold your finger there, just turn with me to the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to see the Apostle Paul lay out for us the same thing. I always have to say, Gentiles eat pork chops every time I go to Ephesians. I don't know why. In Ephesians chapter 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Verse 10, put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Not stand against the power of Rome. Not stand against all this other junk that's going on. Who are we standing against? The wiles of the devil. Standing against the powers and the principalities. Look what he says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness. In the heavenly places. Therefore, 
take up the whole armor of God. Folks, our battle is not with flesh and blood. Our battle is not. Our battle is happening behind the scenes in, in realms that we can't even begin to fathom as God's forces do battle, as they fight and, and go at war. In fact, we see the Lord speaking in a similar fashion to this in the book of Isaiah. In fact, if you go to Isaiah chapter 14, yeah, I got time. I'm running a rabbit trail. You guys might as well hang with me. In Isaiah chapter 14, Isaiah's breaking out this litany, and all of a sudden he begins to turn his focus. He begins to turn his focus, and he says in verse 12, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit in the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like most high. But you will be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. And those that see you will gaze at you and consider you saying... Is this the one that made the earth tremble, who shook the kingdoms? We see as we take a look at this, if you look at the entire chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah is bringing up a a proverb or a prophecy against the king of Babylon, and all of a sudden he looks behind the king of Babylon to the power behind him, to Lucifer. To the spiritual battle taking place behind him. If you turn to Ezekiel chapter 28, you can see Ezekiel doing the same thing. In Ezekiel chapter 28, he begins in verse 1, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God. And he starts this judgment against the the prince or the ruler of Tyre. And then as we look, we see, Moreover the Lord said to me in verse 11, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. You were the anointed cherub that covered. I establish you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in all your ways from the day that you were created until iniquity was found in you. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Satan. He's talking to Lucifer. Once again, he first begins talking with the ruler of an area, and then he backs up and looks at the power behind the throne. For we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And we see this being established as we look in the Scriptures here in the book of Daniel. So as we look back at Daniel... Hopefully we haven't forgotten where we came from. We look at the book of Daniel and we see, now here is Daniel. 
hearing about this prince of Persia, which withstood until Michael was able to set him loose. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen, and this is key, to your people in the latter days. Folks, when we look at these next two prophecies, when we look at Daniel uh, 10 through 12, it's one prophecy, and this prophecy deals with who? Daniel's people in the last days. Daniel's people in the latter days. So we're going to see from the moment of Daniel forward, we're going to see like two mountain peaks. I don't know if you've ever heard this analogy, but sometimes when you look at prophecy in the Scripture, it's like when you see a mountain peak in the distance. And it looks like this mountain is one big mountain. But as you get up to it, you discover that there's another peak just beyond, right? And what looked like one mountain has a valley between it. And that's what we're going to see in this prophecy. Daniel's going to be looking and he's going to see an example of a little horn. The first uh, picture of Antichrist that we're, that we're seeing in the scriptures. We've already talked about him. Um, and then he's going to see that final Antichrist in the last day. So Daniel's going to have this prophecy. But it's important that we realize the church is not in 11 and 12. It's the people of Daniel. It's Daniel's people in the latter days. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. And when he had spoke such things to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. Folks, it's exactly what Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah said, I can't speak. I can't talk. I'm a man of unclean lips. And what happened? An angel went to the altar of God, took a coal from the altar, brought it back and touched Isaiah's lips and said, Now your sins are purged. You're clean. God attributed unto him righteousness so that he would be able to speak. And the other thing is, look at Isaiah. It says in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died. Folks, King Uzziah was this great reformer. Was one of the best kings that they ever had. The people were really rallying around Uzziah. And they're excited. Man, this is a great... It'd be like the, the Ronald Reagan years, maybe for us or something. You know, it was like, whoo, King Uzziah. But it says, in the year King Uzziah died. It's like with him went all their hope and, and dreams that, of what was going to happen. And Isaiah was downcast and sorrowful. But it was in the year that King Uzziah died, when Uzziah was out of the way, that Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up in his train filled the temple. We've got to get our eyes off of the people and realize that we need to be focused on the power, the power of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our, our faith and our hope is in Him. Folks, we put our faith and hope in someone else. We will be disappointed. Never if your faith and hope is in Jesus Christ. He'll give us everything we need to carry us through. And so we see similarities here between Daniel's vision and how he reacts, and then the angel touches him and touches his lips, and he's able to speak. In verse 17, he says, For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? For 
As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor any breath is left in me. After seeing the holiness of God, he really doesn't have much to say anymore. You know, there, there are a lot of people, I, I've met a few of them, that think that they're going to have a lot to say when they stand before God. Man, all words are going to, I don't care what kind of, I've met some people that just cannot be quiet. On that day, there's not going to be any need for, words will escape them, just like they escaped Daniel, just like they escaped Isaiah. And so then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Folks, just so you know, that's a command. Greatly beloved of God, this command is fear not. How many times does the Lord command us that very same thing going through the scriptures? Now, I don't care how much we want to wear them shirts that say no fear on it. I don't care how many planes you jump out of, how many times you bungee jump, if you base jump off of the bridge out in Twin. Doesn't make any difference. The Lord has to say, fear not, 366 times in the Bible. One for every day and leap year. So there's things that we deal with in regard to fear every day. And so he commands him, fear not, don't be afraid. Peace be to you. And then again, a commandment, be strong. Yes, be strong. Now what are we supposed to be strong in? In our own strength? In our own might, folks, I've stood with, with a, a man and a woman had absolutely no strength at all to stand. And watched them stand anyway. Having done all, Paul would write in Ephesians, having done all to stand, what does he say? Stand therefore. Stand, because it's not in our strength. It's in the Lord's strength. And God's going to bring into our lives brothers and sisters, isn't He? That's going to come alongside. Didn't Paul go on to write, strengthen the feeble knees, the weak hands? When Moses couldn't hold his hands up anymore, what happened? Aaron and Hur came alongside and held his hands up. They became a part of the solution, working together. And so when He commands us to be strong, He's not saying be strong in your own might. He's saying be strong in the Lord. Your faith and trust in Him. Eyes on Him, not that leader. Not thinking, well, Moses is going to carry us through, but realize it's the cloud and the pillar that are taking us from one place to another. Moses is a tool used of God. So are we. So were they. So be strong, therefore, he says. Be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And I said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And he said, do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. Apparently the battle's not over. He's taken a break from the battle to tell Daniel what's going on. I mean, that's incredible when you start to think about it. What do we miss, I wonder? What things are happening behind the scenes? How many times have we just walked through our day and the angels around us were busy as all get out battling the enemies 
of the Lord. They were trying to do who knows what, foiling whatever plans that he might have had, and we don't even know. How many days have we gone through a day thinking nothing really happened today? And maybe we went to bed not being thankful for the Lord's protection or His hand upon us. But we don't know what happened. We don't know what was going on. But there were things. Here this angel is going back. He's going back to fight again with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed the prince of Greece will come. Oh, there's another fella. We got the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. Now we know right now we're in the Medo-Persian Empire, right? In Daniel. But what's the next empire that's coming? Greece. And apparently all that battle, you know, how many folks want to step back and look at the genius of Alexander and the ability that he had to put this army together in this short period of time to go through and, and destroy the world only to find out Alexander had something to do with it, but not as much as we might like to believe. There were other things going on. Other things that were happening. And I think that's what he's alluding to here. And he says, But I will tell you what is noted in the Scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Also in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. You notice who's still speaking. In the Scripture, that should be parentheses beginning in verse 21 of chapter 10 and ending after verse 1 of chapter 11. The angel's talking. Who raised up Darius the Mede? Who strengthened him? God's, God's angels were with him. Darius, who, as we saw with Nebuchadnezzar, didn't we? Like Nebuchadnezzar coming to faith through the example that Daniel provided was a tool in God's hand. That God used him. That God established that kingdom. That God raised him up. That God made him able to stand. Wasn't because Darius was so incredible. But it's the power of God working and moving in him. Now I don't want us to get crazy. A few years ago there was a bunch of stuff, a hoopla about focusing on angels all the time. I am not promoting that we start looking for angels behind all the bushes and, and what angels are doing in our life and start praying for the angels' battles that they're fighting. We don't need to do that. We need to stay focused on the Lord. And we need to realize that His angels are with us. Do you know in Matthew chapter 18, when the Lord was talking about the children, do you remember when He said, and the Lord God has angels to watch over these little ones and their face is never away from my Father. Angels that are, are given watch over the little ones. Just what Jesus was talking about when they were bringing those little ones to Him and the disciples saying, no, no, no. You let those little ones come. So my Father has angels that are watching out for them. And God loves them so much they got first priority to get into the throne of God. Isn't that cool? That when you and I, when we were youngins, God had an angel watching out for us. That God put the Holy Spirit in our life to call Him toward Him. 
that he sent his son to pave the way that you and I could come to faith in Jesus Christ. And all of these things that have happened, folks, weren't all about the people, but the power behind what they're accomplishing. And that's what Daniel's laying out for us. Every day, there's something to be thankful for. We just maybe didn't see it. But God was working. And he's going to be working tomorrow and the next day. So put your faith and trust in him and allow him to carry you through. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we can have before you. Father, we thank you that we are going to just, just take a moment, enter into your throne room, seek your presence, seek your face. Father, that as we spend a moment of worship, Lord God, that we would come to you with an attitude of thanksgiving for all that you have done that we never saw. Father, that we may come to you with an attitude that says, Yes, Lord, I will be strong. And yes, Lord, I will not be afraid because God's word declares to us that it is perfect love that casts out fear. Perfect love, that complete love, that heart totally given to the Lord. Cast out fear. Fear is driven away. And we stand in the strength of the Lord. For it's not by strength nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Father, may we rest in your strength, in your power. May we present ourselves to you as tools of righteousness in the hands of Almighty God to be used to move forward in our world and affect this world in ways we will not even begin to understand. But make us strong, Lord. Only let us stand before you and before our enemies without fear. May we realize when we, when we face these impossible situations that there is around us such a power we can't even begin to understand. Father, we just desire this evening in that attitude of, of thanksgiving, in an attitude of worship, in an attitude of praise to set aside some time, Lord Jesus, to honor you, to glorify you, to praise you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.